On this particular episode, we're going to be talking about how you start a claim and advance a claim if it's an individual under a disability. That could be a situation where someone has suffered a severe brain injury such that they can't make decisions on their own. Another example would be if somebody's legally considered a person under disability, which would be, for instance, a minor that can't make legal decisions on their own. Hi, I'm Andrew Iacobelli. I'm a personal injury lawyer with Iacobelli Law Firm. And my name is Colton Lung, and I am a personal injury lawyer as well with Iacobelli Law Firm. We talk about your rights following an accident or injury so that you can become informed to make better decisions for your future. Why don't we start with talking about someone who's been in a, in a really serious accident where maybe they've been airlifted to one of the trauma hospitals and they've suffered severe injuries, including a brain injury that renders them unable to make decisions. And so now the family have to deal with this situation and try to get some help. For example, if an individual is uh, clearly disabled because of a very traumatic uh, injury because of the accident, more likely than not, their next of kin, the wife, the husband, would step in and advise us that uh, their loved one was involved in a very serious motor vehicle accident, for example. More likely than not, they're going to be listed as their guardian, meaning um, they're going to make decisions on you know, their loved one's behalf. We would apply to the court to have a family member typically appointed as the substitute decision maker on behalf of their injured family member. So they could make not only all the legal decisions, but also that goes towards financial decisions, opening bank accounts, closing bank accounts, authorizing payments, things that you would take for granted as simple as a haircut. They need a decision maker to be able to access the funds and pay for a haircut and also to instruct the lawyers. So that's a substitute decision maker. That's a guardian uh, over their property and sometimes over their person. But then in the, in the lawsuit itself or in the claim, there's another kind of guardian that's a litigation guardian. Tell us a little bit about the litigation guardian. So the litigation guardian steps in to also make decisions on behalf of the plaintiff who's disabled or a minor. As a lawyer, uh, we take instructions from the litigation guardian in terms of you know, any potential settlements that come our way. We have to inform the litigation guardian. They make the decision on behalf of their loved one who is uh, disabled, unfortunately. Um, and of course, as a litigation guardian, they have to make the best possible decision um, for whoever they're taking care of. For example, if you have a pedestrian that is hit by a car and has really serious injuries, they're communicating, but they're just, you're not sure, right? There's a, there's a documented brain injury. Is this person capable of Amazing. making decisions for themselves with respect to their finances? One of the first steps would be to get a capacity assessment. So there are individuals that are qualified to do an assessment and determine whether the person is capable to make decisions on their own behalf. So that's step one. It can be done later. There's times where we didn't think capacity was an issue. And then we went to a deposition, just our client's abilities at the deposition kind of made us concerned. And so we would, we would then ask for a capacity assessment, but usually it's done early on. And in these kind of cases, personally, I think it's even more important to get a lawyer early on because of all the steps that need to 
be followed. You know, how much more complex it is as opposed to a normal claim, let's say. Right. Typically, people with these kind of injuries, the whole discharge planning becomes much more difficult. The, the, these individuals sometimes can't go home. They're going to require a whole host of resources and just a team of healthcare providers. They might be going to a rehab hospital or to, or to some other long-term care facility. And even when they, they do come home, as Andrew said, um, you know, they might need a whole host of medical assistive devices, such as a special bed, you know, attendant care. Healthcare providers, yeah, nurses, PSWs, things Social like workers. this. Can you share some of the differences when you have a, when you have a, a client that, uh, that has these kind of injuries that they're not making decisions on their own behalf? Not too, too much is different in terms of the whole claims process, but the insurance company or the defense doesn't necessarily depose the uh, individual who's disabled per se. They might depose their litigation guardian instead uh, to understand how the accident affected their loved ones, the plaintiff in, in this case. Yeah, and there is a big difference in the settlement. The settlement requires a lot more steps to get finalized. So in the case where you have a guardian, these settlements need to be approved. Even though with the advice of your lawyer, you may decide it's a, it's a fair, reasonable and good idea to settle the case. Ultimately, as an as a additional safeguard, the court is required, a judge is required to review the terms of the settlement and approve it. That's very good. Uh, for the injured party and their family because it gives them one more level of protection and it requires a judge to review everything, including affidavits authored by your lawyer. So in, in cases we handle, we'd have to write an affidavit explaining to the judge what's happened and why we have recommended or suggested that this is a good settlement for the, for the injured party. And similarly, the guardian would be authoring a affidavit in addition to medical records, reports, other documents that would be submitted to the court. If the judge approves the settlement, part of that is also what happens to the money. There has to be a plan in place for the money to make sure that it's being utilized in the best interest of the injured party. And so one of the ways that we often uh, resolve these cases is by way of something called a structured settlement. So instead of paying it all out at once, like typically what would happen in a settlement, if you settled your case for X dollars, you get a check for X dollars. In a structured settlement, instead of paying you directly the money, the insurance company actually buys an annuity. The settlement is structured so that it pays out whatever form and amounts you've agreed upon. These can be very helpful in cases where uh, someone needs lifelong healthcare and you know what their monthly expenses are and you're trying to preserve the capital for their life expectancy, there would just be payouts monthly to cover those expenses so that the capital is preserved. Likewise with children that are injured, you can structure the settlement so that there are payouts when they reach the age of majority, and then maybe payouts, you know, in their 20s, and then maybe a final payout when they're 30. You wouldn't want a young person to suddenly come into a lot of uh, money all at once and go and blow it. So there's a lot of value to structured settlements. It's a good way to, like I said, preserve capital, protect the injured party. Just, you know, gives the assurance to the court that the money is used for the injured party and it's not used for the benefit of the guardian for him or herself. The quantum paid out over the, over the period of time could be significantly larger than what the settlement amount was. So for instance, if you settle 
uh, for a million dollars and you structure it a million, it could over the uh, period in which it's paid, it could be significantly more than the million dollar settlement. So it's also another way to add more value for the injured party because it's accruing some, some kind of interest while it's being structured. Let's talk about a minor now. Let's say you have a child that was involved in an accident. Maybe they were hit by a car or they were a passenger in a car. Mm -hmm. They have injuries, but they're not like really serious life-altering injuries, but they're only 13 years old and you settle the case. Do you have to structure that for their life? Like, what do you do in that situation? Well, in that situation, um, if it does resolve, again, we have to uh, apply to the court to get it approved. And part of the application that we uh, write to the court, uh, we're gonna you know, request that the money either be paid into court until the uh, minor reaches the age of majority, Sometimes, um, you know, I, I've had a file where funds are required for raising the children, educational purposes, after school programs. Then we would also make an application to the court requesting the reason why um, the money should be paid uh, to the litigation guardian directly. The court basically assesses the file to see whether or not it is actually beneficial for the minor because at the end of the day, the money is used for the minor. So as long as we can you know, show the court that the money is to be used for the minor, um, then the court will make a determination as such. Really a case-by-case -case basis. Of course. And, and, you're, and you're looking at the needs of this particular individual or family trying to make a reasonable proposal to the court, yes. While we're on the subject of minors and representing minors injured, and when I say minors, I mean people that are under the age of 18, not people working in mines. <laughs> on that subject, what, what other unique uh, features are there when you represent kids? Of course. So all individuals have what's known as the limitation period to file a lawsuit. Everyone has two, you generally speaking, two years from the date of loss uh, to issue what's known as a statement of claim or when you officially have the document to sue the at-fault party, right? Generally, it's two years. For minors, um, there is an exception where um, it's until the minor reaches the age of 18. Um, that's when the limitation period starts accruing. Although that's the case, um, it's not recommended that they start the lawsuit at age 18. We still recommend to get a lawyer shortly after the accident so that we can you know, get all the documentation we need, build a strategy moving forward. There might be years from the accident until the individual turns age of 18. A lot of evidence might not be there anymore. Medical documentation might not be documented properly. So it's always advisable to uh, you know, seek legal advice at an early stage in time. Just to be clear, you don't have to wait till age 18 to start it or to settle it. The case can settle you know, when the child's still 11 or 10 or 12, right? Yes, of course. Okay. What happens when uh, a minor starts a lawsuit? Uh, let's say they start a lawsuit at age 16, um, and then the, it eventually uh, goes on to after they turn 18. What happens after that? Okay, and that's common too. So sometimes they started off that case with a litigation guardian, but now under law, as soon as they turn 18, they're no longer disabled. It's simply filing some documents with the court to now continue the action or continue the claim in the name of the minor uh, without the litigation guardian. There's cases that start where someone is not disabled, either deterioration in health or some other circumstances arises where they lost capacity. And it's, it's the same thing. You can, you can change it even during the litigation. Uh, to, to a point, either, 
to yeah. appoint a litigation guardian at that time uh, yeah. when it requires. You can also substitute later. If that person at some point realizes this is just too much, that person doesn't want to take on the responsibility anymore. There's a lot of flexibility uh, when, you're, when you're representing people that are under a disability. As you can see, there's a whole bunch of scenarios uh, involving people under disability, whether it's because of an injury or if they're a minor. All of those situations are unique. If you think you have one of those situations where you're either where you're a family member of somebody that needs a guardian and needs assistance bringing a claim, we're happy to sit down with you, review the circumstances of your particular situation and try to give you the best advice we can so that you can make an informed decision for your loved one. Feel free to contact us. Our contact details are listed below. Um, and of course, our uh, phone lines are open 24-7 so that you can schedule a time to speak with both Andrew and I. Thank you so much.